Well, uh, good morning to each of you. Good to see each of you and good to be with you in the worship this morning. Of course, Brother Drew is down at uh, Rice Road in Tyler today. He started it on Friday night, concludes this evening. The Hockadays and I went down on Friday night, and he did a splendid job present, presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ on that occasion. Turn to Luke, the fifth chapter for our study this morning, Luke 5. And while you're turning there, one of our good sisters this morning called my attention to the fact I hadn't thought about it. But I use, many times I get the bulletin ready, proofread it, and have Alma to proofread it, and then I send, send it online before I come down to the building and run it off. Well, this week, I was, in, I was in a hurry to get down here to the building and get that done. And when I got back home, I forgot all about sending out the bulletin. And uh, there was one person who mentioned it to me, so I, I, hope, I hope none of the rest of you missed it in that way, but I'll try to do better in the future. Luke 5, beginning at verse 1, so it was as the multitude pressed about him, about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Simon Peter's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. He preached to them. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. What's Peter saying? I don't see much sense in this, Lord. We've been fishing all night and we didn't catch a fish. Why are you telling me to do this? But he continued by saying, Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Jesus, if it was left up to me, I wouldn't do that. But at your word, because you are telling me to do it. I will let down my net. Those two, those three little words, at your word, in this passage of Scripture, are so great and so meaningful. And there's an application that we can make in our hearts and in our lives 
to what Peter on this occasion demonstrated. But let's go ahead and read the rest of it. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Do you think they were impressed by what had just happened? They certainly were. Peter, when he let down those nets, probably thought, well, this, is, this may be useless, but the Lord told me to do it, and I'm going to do it. And now they see the great power. They were so impressed by what had happened on this occasion. But brothers and sisters and friends, we can, we can learn from this story. Learn to have the attitude. I may not understand all about this, Lord. I may not see why you have commanded or teach, teach me to do this. But at your word, I will obey what you have told me to do. There's a great lesson there. That's what this lesson today is about. Someone is reported to have said, I want God to speak out loud to me. And somebody told him, said, well, read the Bible out loud. And if we read the Bible out loud, God will be speaking to us out loud because we'd be reading what God has said to us. The whole point of this lesson is to impress upon us to have the faith to do that which Jesus Christ has commanded us to do, has taught us to do. Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing God's word. Many times people talk about even in religion, things that they believe. And they are seem to be proud of the things that they believe. But what they believe, they couldn't give you a passage of Scripture from the Bible at all for it. That's not real faith. Because faith comes only by hearing God's Word. Now, we may believe in a lot of things. It didn't have anything to do with the Word of God. And 
That means it wouldn't have anything to do with salvation and our going to heaven. Faith that is for eternity. Faith that has eternal rewards comes only by hearing what God has said to us. And in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the writer of Hebrews tells us, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Who are those who diligently seek Him? Those who listen to what He has told us and commanded us. And at His word, do as the Apostle Peter did and cast down our nets. Do what He tells us to do. Well, a lot of people have trouble with some things in the Bible that we read about. For instance, in Genesis, the first chapter, we are told in Genesis 1 at verse 27, God, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But people say, some people say, I, you know, I don't believe in that. I believe in evolution. They say that I'm an atheist or I just have problems with this, this story. You realize that you cannot believe in Jesus Christ without believing that passage that I just read. It's absolutely necessary. Why, why do I say that? Because we have the record given to us in Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew 19 at verse 4. The Pharisees in verse 3, the Pharisees came to him, to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Who's saying that? Jesus is. What's he referring to? He's quoting from that passage that I just read in Genesis 1 at verse 27. Putting his stamp of approval upon the record in Genesis of the creation. And so our attitude should be, Jesus, at your word, I will believe, I will accept what you say. And believe in the creation story of Genesis 1 and 2. Furthermore, in that same passage, we are told in verse 5 of Matthew 19, and said, further he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And when you look at Genesis, the second chapter, we have the record of God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam in Genesis 2 at verse 21. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which uh, the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone 
and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What did Jesus say in Matthew 19 and verse 5? For this reason, a man said, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting that passage of Scripture from Genesis 2. At your word, Lord. Am I going to believe that? If it had not been for Jesus and what he has done for us, we might have some excuse. But Jesus leaves us no choice. If we are going to believe him and accept him, we must have the attitude, at your word, Jesus, I will accept the record of Genesis, the second chapter, and Genesis 1, the record of the creation. In chapters 6 through 8 of Genesis, we have the flood story. The flood of Noah's day, the worldwide flood. And there's three chapters it's taken to explain all about that. And there are a lot of people in our society today, and sometimes those who claim that they believe in God, claim that they believe in Jesus and they want to go to heaven when this life is over, but even some of them have difficulty accepting the flood story, because the teaching of evolution is so prevalent in our society today, and our youngsters growing up and being taught this in our schools in many instances will face extra pressure to believe that they want to accept the they want to accept the theory of evolution rather than accepting the flood story of Genesis 6 through 8. But you know it's strange to me that even the evolutionists, as smart as they are, they're educated people. No question about their intelligence. But with that intelligence and in, in in fact, because of the fact that they are aware of the evidence in the earth, and the geologists are especially aware of this, of evidence across this planet earth, and they will admit, yes, the earth has sometime in the past been covered by water but they, won't, they don't want to accept the flood of Noah's day. They think that's just a fairy tale. But what about Jesus? What did he think about it? Well, let's look at Genesis. Or let's, let's look at Matthew, rather. Look at Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Verse 
and we're going to begin reading it, verse 18. This is, this is the record of when Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi and he asked his apostles, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he, tell, he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Well, let's go back. That's, I missed my passage there. Matthew, the 24th chapter, it is where we need to read. Matthew 24, beginning at verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, verse 36 says, but of the day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of, uh, the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, and marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. What does Jesus do in this passage? He puts his stamp of approval upon the accuracy of the flood story of Genesis 6 through 8. In other words, he is we, we should have the attitude, Jesus, at your word, if I have trouble in any other, from any other standpoint of accepting and believing in the flood story, at your word, I will accept the story of the flood in Genesis as being true. And I will believe that story. Well, then the passage I just read from Matthew. Matthew, the 16th chapter, in which Jesus promised that upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Why would he say that immediately after promising to build a church? Well, it shows he's talking about the same thing in both statements. I will build my church. I will give you the keys to that relationship, to that kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, as has often been pointed out, actually, literally, it means... Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. It's not saying, you fellows that are apostles, I'm sending you out. You decide whatever you want to teach and believe and 
I'll put my stamp of approval. No, that's not what it's saying. He is affirming that what those apostles would preach would be what came from heaven, what came from God. Well, in the last verse of this chapter, last verse of chapter 16 of Matthew, listen to what this says. Verse 28, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they shall see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is not talking about the second coming. And he lets, you, he lets us know that by how He ends that verse. Listen to it again. I say to you, there are some standing here, people to whom I am speaking, who shall not taste death, that is, they'll not die, till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. So He has promised earlier in the chapter that I'm going, to build, I'm going to establish this kingdom. I'm going to build this church that I'm talking to you about. And it will come within the lifetime of some standing here. Well, not long after that, the day of Pentecost comes. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. They were gathered in Jerusalem. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with tongues, other tongues, even besides those that they had learned. They spoke in languages that they had never learned. How did they do that? The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in languages that they had not learned. That was, that was what speaking in tongues was about. It was not speaking in some kind of gibberish that nobody knew anything about here on earth. The ability to speak in languages that the people could understand. And the speaker did not had not learned that language, but he was speaking it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he preached to them the gospel of Christ. He preached to them the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and closed that sermon in Acts, the second chapter, closed that sermon by saying, in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? What shall we do to do what? Well, he's, he's told them about Jesus and that he has come. Told them that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How, do, how are they to do that? So they asked, what shall we do? The very next words, and Peter said to them, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, unto the remission of sins, for the forgiveness. Remission is the same as forgiveness. For the remission or the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, 
even to the Gentiles. Peter probably didn't realize what he was saying when he preached that because he was preaching by the power of the Holy Spirit. He learned later on in Acts the 10th chapter about that. As many as the Lord our God will call, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved. He's talking about salvation. Be saved from this perverse generation. And that, that expression, be saved. The old King James Version puts it this way. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Be saved. That's imperative. That's a command. So this is the commandment that he gave them. Be saved. Somebody says, can you save yourself? Well, you can respond to the invitation that God has given. That's what he's saying. He's not teaching in that. He's already told them what to do. And who's telling them to do that? God, God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, guiding the apostles when they said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're told that with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself, or be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And someone says, Preacher, I just, I can't understand. I, I just can't understand what baptism could have to do with anybody's salvation. The idea that you would bury someone in water, that that act has anything to do with being saved from sin. Kind of like Peter was, wasn't it? Lord, we fished all night and we haven't caught a thing, but you're telling me to cast out the net at your word. I will cast out the net. That's the attitude that every person ought to have toward what is taught very plainly here in the Scriptures. This is one of the cases of conversion. The first time the gospel of Jesus Christ was preached in its completeness and perfection to an audience. And we have Peter's sermon recorded here in Acts 2. And he had told them back in, verse, in a verse earlier. I believe it's verse 22 if I remember right. But he's quoting, he's quoting from uh, the Old Testament passage. And he says, and it's verse 21, and it, shall come to and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, then he continues preaching, and this, this is given in order. And they get down there to the question when he finishes his sermon. They said, well, what shall we do? And he tells them immediately, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. About 3,000 of those that were listening to him 
did the very thing that he commanded them to do. And verse 47 says, And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, somebody says, But I thought, I thought you called on the name of the Lord in prayer. Well, that's, that's one of the ways that the Lord teaches us to call on Him, but He tells us when to do it so far as our forgiveness is concerned. Over in Acts the 8th chapter, when Simon, who had been a sorcerer, heard, saw, his, saw the, uh, Philip the evangelist perform miracles, and then he preached, and there were men and women that were believing and being baptized. Simon himself believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. But when the apostles came down from Jerusalem to lay their hand, Philip couldn't give that power to somebody else. He wasn't an apostle. When the apostles Peter and John came down and began to lay their hands on others, on other Christians, giving them the power to perform miracles. Oh, he used to be a sorcerer. He was charging for performing these sleight of hand deals. But he says this is the real thing. He's thinking about how much money he can make. And he offers them money if they would do, if they would lay hands on him and give him this power. They said, uh, they told him, your money perish with you because you could thought, thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. What did they tell him to do in Acts the 8th chapter? They said, repent and pray to God for forgiveness. So now this baptized believer, one who has already become a child of God, even though it has been very long, he, he, he commits a sin. What's he to do about that? Is he lost forever? Because No. He can repent of that and ask God's forgiveness. He can pray to God. And, and he said, pray... Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things that you have spoken come upon me. Now, much of the religious world has switched those, turned those two sets apart and upside down. They teach you to come to the altar and repent of your sins and pray to God for forgiveness. And you'll be saved and then you can go be baptized to join the church of your choice later. And that's just not taught in there. You can't read that anywhere in the Scriptures. No, the order is given in those passages of Scripture. And then further in Luke, the 19th chapter, we are told in the story of Zacchaeus. When that uh, story about Zacchaeus who climbed up in the tree, he was a short man, he wanted to see Jesus, and he climbed up into the tree so he could get a good look at Jesus. Jesus came along and told him, said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I'm going to your house today. And he went home with Zacchaeus. And he taught Zacchaeus the truth. And verse 10 says, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. 
That's what the work of Jesus. That's why he came to this earth. That's why he died on the cross. We would have none of these blessings. Baptism is not the grounds of our salvation, as we talked about before. It's not the basis of our salvation. Belief is not even the basis of our salvation. Those are the, those are the conditions. Those are the things that we must do. But when we've done them, not only believing in our heart, but repenting of our sins and confessing our faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized in water for the remission of sin, those are the the conditions. That's all a part of the faith that we must have. In fact, in Galatians 3, at verse 26, you're all, Paul the apostle said, you're all the sons of God of the children of God, through faith in Christ Jesus for, for the reason that as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so he came to seek and save the lost. And in the Great Commission of Mark 15, Mark 16, 15, and 16, He told his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel, just like they did on Pentecost. Preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then that record in Acts, the second chapter, the first record of their preaching in its completeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, It was no longer just in promise that it was going to be preached, but it's now actually being preached. So what should our attitude be toward these matters? This is what Jesus taught. We should have the attitude that Peter demonstrated out on that sea of Galilee one day when he told the Lord, You know, I may not understand all about this. I may not see much sense in casting these nets out because we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught a thing. But at your word, because you have told me to do this, I have faith enough in you that I'm going to do this. And look at the reward. They they loaded the boats with fish to such an extent that the boats began to sink. They were much impressed, and we ought to be. And we should be impressed with the teaching that Jesus gives us. And whether you need to start from the beginning, as we've been pointing out, or as one who has already believed and repented and confessed and been baptized, if there's sin in your life, the record says repent and pray God. John the Apostles added, John the Apostle added, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you want the blessings of Jesus? Do you want to go to heaven when this life is over? There's nothing more important than the attitude of saying at your word, Jesus. I will do what you tell me to do. Won't you do that as together we stand and sing? Come to Jesus.
evil gravation as crimson glow. If you give your heart to Jesus, he will make them white as snow. Come to Jesus, 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 come come today, come to Jesus, dying sinner, other Savior there is none, he will share with you his glory when your pilgrimage is See everyone here this morning. Let's all remember we meet again at five this evening.